Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This is Andre, and I'm here with Professor George Schmuckler from uh, King's College London. He's Emeritus Professor of Psychiatry and Society. How are you enjoying the day so far, George? Very much. I found it uh, extremely interesting, excellent talks, and uh, an impressive amount of research that's been done in the course of a year, uh, and a lot of it being published already. I mean, that's a record, really. Yeah, absolutely. It takes years. <laughs> to do a research project and then another year or so to get it published. So give us your perspective on the Mental Health Act and the review that's taken place quite recently. Okay, I think that the uh, review makes some promising recommendation, which, which if they were to be integrated into a more expansive uh, and uh, perhaps a more coherent statute would enhance the rights of people with uh, mental illness and would in- enhance their standing in society. But there isn't that kind of major reform that's being proposed, and it's certainly not possible given all the other issues that the government is, is dealing with. Um, so uh, it may be something that will happen in the future, but I am disappointed that, that we will have to wait another 10 years at least for this to happen. Um, so I can explain why I think that our Mental Health Act is, uh, is deficient in terms of uh, its human rights and in terms of the, um, a moral analysis. Yeah, please do. I think, so for yeah. me, this is something that's cropped up a few times in the talks today, in yeah. Dorothy's talk, in Ray's talk, a rights-based approach to legislation. What does that mean? Right. Well, the problem is one of discrimination, that there is an unfair discrimination against people with a mental disorder or a mental illness. And this is evident when you compare the rules for involuntary treatment or treatment against the patient's objection in psychiatry versus the rest of medicine, all other specialties and all other settings, general wards, surgical wards. Now, for ordinary patients, patients without a psychiatric disorder, if the person has decision-making capacity, that is, the ability to make decisions for themselves... And the person, um, well, whatever the decision the person makes, if they have that capacity, is respected, even if that decision appears to probably lead to a serious or a grave outcome. We respect it as a a statement made by an autonomous or self-determining individual. Now... A person with a physical disorder, I say that in inverted commas, um, their decisions, their objections can be overridden, but it requires two, two elements. The first is that the person must be shown not to have the ability to make a decision for themselves. They lack decision-making capacity. That is, they're not able to understand the information, its relevance, pertinence, um, not able to retain it. And they're not able to use and weigh it. That is, that they uh, don't. Uh, they're not able to think through the consequences of accepting the treatment, or which treatment option to accept, or to reject treatment. In terms of what is important in their personal lives, their personal goals, their their beliefs, deep beliefs and values, their conception of, of the good for them. So that's the. the it's a personal. Uh, view takes account of the patient's perspective. And the second element, even if they lack that decision-making capacity, for an involuntary intervention to be made, the person, it, it must also be in the person's best interests. 
Now, best interests is a rather controversial uh, notion, but it's moving very, very much in terms of decisions from the Court of Protection, from the High Court, and also through legal scholarship in the direction of being primarily based on the person's beliefs, values, um, conception of, of good and their personal goals. This brings it, starts bringing it into alignment with the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, where will and preferences is, uh, is, is the touchstone for any decision involving a person with a disability, including mental health disabilities. So that's the system for people who don't have a mental disorder. Now, what about people with psychiatric disorders? Entirely different. There are two criteria, and they've, those criteria have been in mental health law going back to the late 18th century. Essentially unchanged, these two criteria. The first is the person suffers from a mental disorder, in inverted commas, usually very loosely defined, if defined at all. And secondly, that the person, that there is a risk of harm to the health or safety of the person or to other people. That's the risk. So there's a mental disorder criterion and a risk criterion. Now, there, there is nothing there about whether the person is able to make a decision for themselves. And the risk element is not clearly or obviously the risk as seen by the patient for themselves. So the perspective is one where the clinicians or the clinical team make a decision about whether this is a serious enough risk to the person's health or safety or to other people that an involuntary intervention is warranted. So you can see that there is a very marked difference between these two. And the most striking thing here, when one thinks about it, is that there is a major discrepancy between the respect accorded to the person's autonomy or to their right to self-determination in these two cases. So you have this tiny group of people, people with a mental disorder, who are treated entirely differently to the others, and the, their autonomy or right to self-determination is not respected in an equal way. That's discriminatory. The second area where there is discrimination is to do with this protection of others element. So people with a mental disorder under the Mental Health Act, and, and Mental Health Act is like most acts in the world, mental health, uh, mental health laws, that such people are almost uniquely subject to a form of preventive detention that nobody else is subject to, apart from, I'll uh, come to the, the, the very tiny exception. So the rest of us, those who don't have a mental disorder, cannot be detained preventatively unless we have committed some sort of offence or we're strongly suspected of having committed some sort of offence. Whereas people with a mental disorder can be detained purely, solely, 
on the basis of the risk they are deemed to pose to others without having committed any offending act. So it's a form of preventive detention which differs strikingly from the detention that the rest of us without a mental disorder are subject to under the criminal justice system. Now, one would say that people who present an equal level of risk to others should be treated equally. I mean, that's tenet of justice or fairness. And so here is a very another critical uh, form of discrimination against people with a mental disorder. Now, the tiny exception that I mentioned are people with infectious diseases. Uh, this is often raised when I make this point. That's why I said it's you know, almost unique. Now, such people indeed may be detained, but they cannot be treated against their will under the legislation in this country. And we have, in 2013-14, there were six such cases in England, compared to 60,000 or more of such cases of, cases of mental disorder, uh, people being detained under the Mental Health Act. Mm -hmm.